so before we get started with today's show, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to take care of. Some of you may be curious as to why we didn't have a show last week. Some of you are fully aware of why we didn't have a show last week, but I wanted to address that fact. So when Kyle and I hit record, we usually joke back and forth and talk about something dumb. We've been friends for going on a decade and a half at this point. And so we talk about whatever, just to kind of get our juices going and kind of get ourselves into the mode of conversation before the podcast starts. During that conversation last week, I used uh, some language to describe a quarterback, a professional quarterback that I don't particularly like. It wasn't a slur toward any specific racial group or ethnicity, any gender, sexual orientation, anything like that. It was just some profanity to describe a quarterback that I have um, been cheering against for quite a long time. But that being said, that is not the standard that Kyle and I hold ourselves to and I hold myself. We've been very intentional over the last five years to create a brand that is authentic and honest and fun and snarky, but is also one that's you're okay to play in the car with your kids. And so I failed at that last week. I did not meet the standard that we've set for ourselves and the standard that, uh, frankly, you all should have for us. And so for that, I just say I am sorry. Uh, I do want to say that I appreciate all of you that reached out to me directly to just point out or the questions that you had about uh, what I said and why I said it or, or just the conversations that I have, one of the things that I value in life is having people in my circle that are willing to tell me when I'm wrong and willing to tell me uh, when I step out of line. It's it's how I truly know who cares about me. And so to those of you that did reach out, I appreciate it. And I want to thank you for that. And thank you for uh, caring enough to do so. And so I appreciate your grace. Uh, and I making a commitment now that we will never have to have that conversation again. everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you find it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who made sure he pressed record, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I'm better now that I see my recording is still running. Uh, we are coming to you. You're listening to the dulcet sounds of Gerald Goodrich and Kyle Carpenter fresh into the year 2022. Our first podcast, actually, our second podcast of the year, uh, as uh, we just recorded the show and my audio did not take. So we're doing it a second time live for you guys. They always say first is the is the worst, second is the best. So here we are uh, doing it. There's a there's a joke here that I won't remake. Something about uh, a, a shrimp's uh, culinary podcast, uh, but I, I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna get there. We're gonna we're gonna diverge, right? This timeline is different, and uh, it was the the dumbest thing I said the last podcast. And Gerald's laughing because he doesn't have to hear that joke again. So let's keep it moving and let's keep things uh, on track. The audio was lost, and so was Kyle's joke, and he missed out on the better name for our V-Occasion Review podcast, which is Some Po' Boys. 
How did you miss Ooh. that one? We some po' boys would be just That's... a great way to review Cajun food, Viet Cajun food, sandwiches. You, you got a lot of work you could do with that name. It's not bad at all. It's not. I I can't imagine that that's not also an LSU football podcast name that. But uh, but yeah, that's if we can get that, Joe, we should probably lock it down just to have just in just, case. While, while I'm talking to the intro, if you want to check if that Twitter is available, that would be absolutely <laughs> great. But we're not here to talk about random sandwiches or any sort of thing. We're here to talk about Texas eating up the basketball court the men and the women both kicked off big 12 play in a quite successful and quite lopsided way texas added a new coach to the football coaching squad both the basketball and the football team added some talent to the locker room and we'll obviously close the show out with some godzilla tron and some bang the drum so on the men's side of the basketball court after absolutely just I don't even know what the word is for this, but Texas beat Incarnate Word 78 to 33, which is video game numbers. I don't know what else to say. Uh, But men's basketball opened up the conference play against West Virginia and was a little bit kinder to them, but not much. 74 to 59. Texas built up a 19-point lead in the first half and never trailed throughout that game. In Texas, it's hard to pull a, like, it's hard to compare, like, a two-game sample size to, like, the 10 games that came prior. But if this is the Texas team, if the way they played against West Virginia is more indicative or even closer to indicative of what they'll be like for the rest of the season, this is going to be a very very tough team oh yeah absolutely i mean this is this is fun this is the most fun basketball they've played again sample sizes be dang this is this is 15 percent of the season so far just because we're in the early part of it but we did start as good as you could have possibly hoped to open the conference slate right there's two seasons in in any you know sport in college right there's the preseason the the non-conference that that matters without a doubt it matters and then there's the conference play where it really matters and so um starting the season that really matters where where you know Chris Beard teams have thrived in the past in, in just being a incredibly tough out uh in conference um that it was as good a sign as you could have had right and in um the scoreline actually though it was only 16 points probably flattered West Virginia more than it should have look Texas played two tough opponents and lost to both of them in the in the non-conference and then played a bunch of directional schools so i guess when they played west virginia you know northeast southwest virginia i guess another directional school but no but in seriousness west virginia a a really uh good team that the caveat here is was without uh, a couple players due due to covid some um key contributors surely uh, but i don't know they could have had two three four five extra guys and i don't think they, they would have i mean at one point i think it was a 28 point lead in the second half i mean it was just a molly whopping uh in every sense of the word they they held uh west virginia to eight of 25 from the floor uh in the first half they they just they they looked like a team that uh, was was doing this fun thing where they you know they did the Chris Beard kind of restricted python who tries to squeeze you to death, but then they also ran a little bit. They moved a little bit quicker than they had uh, in some of their past games, where it was actually fun to watch. It was good defensive basketball, which is fun. I like good defense, but then paired with with taking shots, making shots, taking open shots, not passing them up, uh, and 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 scoring. And and you know that if that was the blueprint, if that's the team we're going to see, then it makes you understand why this was a hot Final Four pick in the preseason season why texas you know 
if they play like this, they do have the capacity to be one of the last uh, handful of teams playing this season. Yeah, and and I mentioned it on Twitter, but like if this is the Courtney Ramey that Texas gets for the next 17 games, right, because they've got to play each Big 12 school twice. And so this is the Courtney Ramey that they get for the rest of the 17 games. This is going to be a very, very tough Texas team to beat because Ramey was aggressive and Ramey was knocking them down uh, three of eight from three-point range. And, and, you know, he was able to create a spark and really be a guy who um, Texas can depend on for points. And, you know, Marcus Carr did his thing. We have 20 points and four boards and apparently uh, still very unhappy if you listen to the Texas Tech Twitter sphere. But, you know, Texas was able to play its game and look good doing it, which we hadn't seen them really do against top quality opponents this year. And, and holding West Virginia to eight of 25 from the floor in the first half and just 22 of 52 for the whole game. Like that's, that is Chris Beard to a T, but they also capitalized on those. They had 11 second chance points. They off of 11 offensive rebounds. They had seven fast break points, which I think is a season high for them. But like Texas was able to, like you said, and we've been saying it for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's great to play this low possession, like style of, basketball if you're capitalizing on the offensive side and for the first time all year I feel like they actually did that and this is what it could be this is kind of a proof of concept if they can get to this for again the rest of these 17 conference games they'll be a pretty they'll they'll be in good shape when it comes tournament time absolutely and, and again West Virginia is a really good defensive team like it, when they are at full strength they're probably if not second third uh best defensive team in 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 the big 12 at least top half without a doubt and Texas offense looked easy and it hasn't looked easy against significantly worse teams. I mean, they've won games, but it hasn't looked easy a lot, uh, even against, you know, non-elite op- opponents for stretches, right? In, in against Seton Hall, remember the, the eight minutes of, of, you know, vanishing offense. So if Texas can make it look easy, can get easy buckets. And, and the thing that, that it was most interesting to me was that they did it with their guards where their success had come previously, you know, Trey Mitchell, Timmy Allen had each had games where they'd taken everything. There was a Kristen Bishop game in there. Uh, another player who Texas tech Twitter was trying to, I think insinuate was, was fed up with beard and, and transferring out uh, poor sad Texas tech guys. I, I wish they had something better to do with their holidays, but anyways, the, 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 uh, the guards really showed out. And I was curious how the guards would play together, but you know, Carr, Ramey and Jones kind of played seamlessly when uh, any two or three of them were on the court and 20 points, for uh, for Carr to go with four rebounds, 15 points, as Gerald said, for Ramey knocking down some threes, and then Andrew Jones, 14 points, three of six from three. Um, I mean, if Texas gets that kind of play from their guards, and specifically, if Marcus Carr ends up being the leading scorer, putting up 20-something a night that we all expected and that we knew he could do and that he did at Minnesota, and basically a skill that you don't forget how to just score lots of points against, again, the Big Ten, good defenses, um, then all of a sudden that unlocks a whole extra layer because you know he can facilitate better when he's also able to score and has the defense a little more scared uh, of trying to send those double teams at Allen or, or you know trying to, to keep... Uh, Mitchell off of his game but it, it really rounds out the offense and I think they took more open shots in this game um, when they were presented to them and they hit them right there's going to be nights who don't shoot fantastically but the the kind of being being ready to take the moment and shoot when you get the open shot and knowing that you know you may miss a couple but you're going to hit some because we have really good players it felt like for whatever reason now they they did get a couple more possessions admittedly their tempo moved up you know if this was 
their season average moved up to this. It would move off about 150 spots. Uh, but that is from 350-something, one of the worst in the country. So, you know, it, it'll be curious to see what the blueprint looks like in conference play. Obviously, sample size incredibly small one game but it would be curious to see which of these things were were uh you know a feature and which were a bug and i think we'll find out pretty quickly texas who jumped up to number 14 in the ap poll has to travel to kansas state who's a, a good not great team they're eight and four on the year uh and zero and one in conference play they lost to ou to, to open up conference play but then they have oklahoma state on saturday who is absolutely a good team and i think we'll give texas everything they've got in that matchup on the ladies side not to be outdone they actually had their uh their hbcu beating of the the semester canceled due to covid but they rolled in and took care of oklahoma state 62 to 51 to open up conference play texas uh went on a 7-0 run late in the second quarter to kind of take a take like that eight point lead and then they added another kind of big run in the third quarter to make things more comfortable but it was the usual suspects for texas uh and they got it done in the usual vic schaefer way and and if you don't like defensive basketball, then neither of the Texas teams are going to be one that you like to watch. You know what would not be fun would be playing basketball against a Vic Schaefer team. It just looks it looks terrible. It looks very challenging. Looks very difficult. Looks like it's not a lot of fun uh, to do. It's great to be a fan of the team that does it. If that's how your style of play is going to be, it's it's awful to have to play against Vic Schaefer. They it's just like a like a like a python will just strangle you uh, and choke you out. But uh, they they did that and they did it with a plum and and scored enough to uh, to to finish on the other end and, and, and win their opening game. Kind of like Gerald said, usual suspects, Joanne Allen, uh, Taylor, Audrey Warren, both with 14 points leading the team. Warren also had nine rebounds. And then Aliyah Mathura, a player who we know can just get hot, had 12. And Rory Harmon continuing to be the surprise of the season, 11 points, five rebounds, four steals. We all knew she was really good in high school. I don't know if any of us knew she would be this good this early uh, and, and rise above as, as one of the better freshmen in the country. Um, but, you know, it, it, I, Gerald, I think we thought that this was year one of maybe a multi-year project with as many uh, young players and as much roster turnover was on this team. Um, but it looks like Vic has really got them in a groove and, and going into conference play is a great time to, uh, to be playing well. And uh, it looks like they're, they're, you know, in the right, in the right zone uh, at the right time. Yeah, especially in a tough conference like the Big 12. The Big 12 is going to test you. And, and you and I have long said both, I think on the men's and women's side that the Big 12 is if not the second, the best team, uh, the best conference in basketball. And so, um, you know, holding a team to, to 30% on the game is going to win you a ton of games, especially if they're, they only hit three, three pointers. Like that's just, that's what Vic Schaefer is going to do. It's the, the boa constrictor, the crock pot, whatever you want to call it, but it's just kind of like the slow death where it's just, they're going to squeeze the life out of you. And then by the end of the game, it's like, Oh, we're down eight. And I don't know if there's anything we can do. Uh, to to fix that. And, and, you know, the nation is really taking notice of, of what Texas is able to do. They move up to number nine in the AP poll with that win. Uh, next up for Texas is Texas Tech on Wednesday before taking on Baylor in what's kind of a, a litmus test for this team to see uh, how good they truly are because Baylor's probably going to be one of the last four, if not last two teams standing at the end of the year. Yeah, we. I mean, it doesn't get much better than Texas playing Baylor in the Big Twelve. Uh, they've played some really good teams, but it that's a test, and there's some pride in the line. Vic Schaefer wants to knock Baylor from their perch, and 
uh, own the Big 12 uh, as long as you know he's in it before going back to the SEC. Uh, so you know that 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 is something circled on the calendar without a doubt for this team. So now it's the part of the show where we head to campus and we check out on the things that happened in the last week and we down the 40. And so the big news out of campus is that uh, after parting ways with two-year wide receiver coach Andre Coleman, Texas goes out and hires one of the best in the game, Brennan Marion, the former Pittsburgh Panthers wide receivers coach, to fill in that same role in backfill Andre Coleman. Uh, if you don't know, if you ever heard of Brendan Marion, Brendan Marion is is widely regarded and easily one of the the sharpest up and coming minds in college football right now on the offensive side of the ball. He's uh, literally created a new style of offense. He calls the go go offense, and he's written three books about it. I'm pretty sure, uh, but it, it kind of combines a lot of the triple option concepts from kind of older school mentality with kind of spread looks and spread offenses. A lot of two backs, but he's a guy who's been really upperly mobile as an offensive coach and. He's not stayed in a lot of places a long time, but that means because he is absolutely working his way into an offensive coordinator position before the age of like, he's like 34. So he's going to be an offensive coordinator before he's 35 or 36 uh, when it's all said and done, probably. Yeah, a guy's going places without a doubt. I mean, it's it, all the smart people you knew have been mentioning his name. He's been talked about in hushed tones for a couple of years. Uh, I, I think... Um, you know, rightfully so, right? He just came in to, to Howard in, in the 17-18 season, the offensive coordinator and QB's coach. In his first game as OC, Howard upset UNLV as a 45-point underdog, which is the largest point spread upset in NCAA history, uh, which, you know, okay, way to introduce yourself. Uh, the next <laughs> next year, uh, he was at William & Mary as the OC and QB coach. He followed the former uh, Howard coach Mike London there, you know, continue guy that's clearly trusted by the people he works for. Uh, and then he went to Hawaii and, and when he was kind of in Hawaii was where the go-go offense became popularized in 2020, where people, uh, started to hear about it. Some articles were written about it. He was kind of called the Wunderkind, um, with the things he was doing. And then this year, uh, with Pitt, um, just, I mean, you saw where Kenny Pickett, you know, was in the Heisman race. Um, you saw Jordan Addison win the Bolitnikoff, the best receiver in the country. He was a good receiver this year. Had you know looked like Larry Fitzgerald, you know, reborn. Hundred catches, sixteen hundred yards, seventeen touchdowns. Just a really incredible season. So you know the 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 numbers speak for themselves. The talent speaks for themselves. The idea that he has this philosophy. You take Steve Sarkeesian, who I think you know is legitimately, without a doubt, one of the smartest offensive brains walking the planet today and you pair kind of the the next wave the the the, the I don't want to say this but sark of of you know the next group right this this young uh bright mind who just knows how to hey, get points um and you know, interesting things are going to come uh out of this arrangement without a doubt it'll be interesting to see how they marry the two because Sark likes a lot of two tight end sets and Marion likes a lot of two running back sets. And you don't really see that outside of like the 1970s and or college station when Jimbo's calling the <laughs> offense. Like those are the, really the two places that you see that. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a bunch of smart people in the room. And that's what it seems like Sark is doing with this hire is like, hey, I'm. And this is, I think nobody will argue with this. One of the, I, I'm one of the sharpest offensive minds in the country, and I'm going to add 
something to this kid and hopefully I will add something from this kid so we can really exchange ideas and, and do that. And, and he's another guy who's we've talked a lot about his coaching accolades, but he's also widely regarded as a top end volume recruiter. And he was able to do some things while he was at Pitt and we'll probably get flack for saying this, but good recruiters putting that longhorn on their chest, get an automatic bump. Like it is what it is. And especially with the work that Steve Sarkeesian has done to rebuild a lot of the bridges that Tom Herman burnt in the Texas high school football scene. He's a guy who can go in and, and knows some of the area already and is able to hopefully be a recruiting rainmaker for Texas on top of the work that he can do um, as a developer. We talked about it last. We talked about it. When we talked about Tashard choice choice. Maybe isn't a, a, an upgrade over Stan Drayton as far as development goes, but Tashard choice is going to be an improvement as far as widespread recruiting over Drayton. Drayton landed his guys at running back, but not much else. Choice is not like that. And, and for Marion, he seems like, at least at this point, an upgrade over Coleman, both as a recruiter and as a developer. And that's what I'm really excited to see. Yeah, I mean, you bring in two young guys, right? They're going to relate. They're, they're people, both Choice and, and Marion are people that, you know, are a little closer to the recruits' age. They kind of connect uh, both players, you know, at both college and NFL level. But you, you, can, you can talk that game with... Uh, with these young recruits. And I mean, I'll just say this to Gerald. When we were in college, one of our favorite uh, rappers uh, invented go-go rap. Uh, that was Wale. Um, and, uh, you know, we're bringing the offensive mind who brought uh, the go-go offense. So it just, you know, for, for us personally, it makes a lot of sense to come full circle. <laughs> bringing things full circle. Keep it on the football and new additions. Texas picked up a commitment from 2024. You heard that right. 2024 cornerback out of Alito High School, Jaden Allen. You recognize that last name because his brother BJ Allen was a big piece of the 2022 class. They don't currently have rankings for 2024, but likely to be one of the top players in the state and at the cornerback position when it's all said and done. Yeah, I, I love getting getting two highly ranked brothers on the roster. I'm not going to talk about ones who are uh, in Alabama. Not even going to hint at ones who you know we got a recruit and may have uh, you know a top 100 uh, brother in in high school uh, in the DFW area. I'm not going to mention that type of thing. Uh, what what I am going to say is this kid uh, played. Analito, a really good team as a freshman, was a starter. He's uh, a two-way player who will probably, with lots of high school left to go, put up some tape as, as a receiver as well. But defense is likely uh, where he, he can shine the most. But, I mean, look, it's, it's early days. We'll find out uh, exactly what he has here is this is our first recruit in this class. They don't even have a hashtag yet, Gerald. That's the most important part of recruiting class is the hashtag. <laughs> so if they don't have that one yet, you know it's real early on in the process. Now, moving on to a class that does have both rankings and a hashtag, Texas got a commitment on the basketball side from 2022 point guard Rowan Brumbaugh is what we're going to go with, four-star point guard out of Northfield, Massachusetts. A Texas is reaching into the Northeast to fill out its 2022 group, and I'm not mad about it. Yeah, I can't wait to go far and play for Coach Beard. Um, that's really good uh, Boston accent work there, folks. Uh, park the car in the yeah. No, it's uh, apologies to all our listeners in the, the, the greater mass uh, area. Um, but, yeah, we got a kid from Fairfield, uh, Northfield, excuse me, Massachusetts, 6'4", uh, 180. He's, he's got length. He's tall uh, for a point guard. Not a guy, I think, 
two weeks ago a lot of people said was coming to Texas kind of seems to come out of nowhere. There is a little bit of smoke that Artario Morris, the five-star point guard in this class, got a big offer from the G League, so not saying he's doing that, but uh, we'll be curious to see what happens in the coming days. But um, a player who, regardless, I think Morris feels like a one-and-done or a two-and-done kind of guy. He has draft lottery talent and upside, and just he's that good. Uh, but they also needed to fill in body, so you know another guard doesn't hurt. And I feel like uh, Brumba is a guy who, you know, he doesn't come into college with just elite athleticism. He does everything well. He's a great point guard, facilitates, knows how to use his body to get space, shoots well enough from outside, shoots, you know, scores well inside, just kind of plays basketball incredibly well. Um, does seem to me like a guy who will be on campus a couple years. So if Morris is a one and done, this feels like a, a guy that, you know, is here a couple years. Think Matt Coleman and really builds a career and, and you know, does things and gets better every year he's on campus. There's something to getting old quickly in the foot, in the basketball landscape, and that's I think a guy um, who can do that and help you do that over the long term. On the volleyball court, Logan Eggleston, friend of the show, named the VolleyballMag.com Player of the Year. Well deserved to her. Congratulations! And men's tennis opened up the spring semester. Opens up the spring semester at the Miami Invitational on the seventh. All right, Gerald. So let's move it on to uh, your favorite segment, my favorite segment, your grandmother's favorite segment. Uh, this is this is the part that uh, even if you, you just think we have terrible sports takes, we know what you tune in for. You're here to hear what Gerald and I are watching on our giant screens, uh, which, you know, documentaries about which players in which arena. And Gerald, what have you been watching? Godzilla Tron. Man, it uh, hurts me that you you dropped that your favorite segment thing because that, man, rest in peace to woke nerds. But I, uh, so over the last couple of weeks, we've watched a lot of movies because my my kid has been out of school. Uh, But Encanto is one that we watched on repeat. If you haven't seen it, it's on Disney+. Plus. It's like their 60th, I think, animated film all time. And it's absolutely incredible, very charming and delightful. Um, And it's also cool. My wife is Venezuelan. I don't know if we've talked about that on the podcast before, but seeing like the, the, South there it's set in Colombia, so like the, the South American representation and like they talked about like eating arepas and like my son loves arepas and so like that was a th- it was like oh I, I know that word I, I've heard of that before um, and the music's great and it's got a lot of conversation about um, like families and family dynamics and like kind of breaking family cycles of trauma and expectation and all of that stuff and it was a really really good watch that music's incredible we were singing them all the time and, and you know it's, it's just really really good stuff um, also I've started I finished the Wheel of Time series and was moderately disappointed by it I think there was a lot that they could have done differently but I, I started to read the book and I'll agree with the book readers that the book is way better than the show but a valid criticism is not like this isn't how this isn't the order it happened in in the books like they did some stuff apparently in the finale the season one finale that happened in like book three and it's like you can be annoyed that they did it out of order but unless it like you don't know what narrative choices they're making differently in the show so like you can't really complain about that at that point but that's neither here nor there and then I am re-watching Daredevil season three because that was one of the two good ones of that show and for other Marvel reasons that I won't spoil if you haven't seen any of the new stuff I'll just leave it there but Daredevil season three great stuff always really really fun to watch Thanks for not spoiling it, Gerald, because there's only one woke nerd on this podcast. But um, I, I, my wife has also been wanting to watch uh, Encanto, and uh, if we need to keep the the 
a food metaphor is going when you were just talking about a rep as my mouth started drooling. I am ready uh, to start uh, Buñuelo Boys, uh, where we we rank uh, all the best Venezuelan dishes. Did I pronounce that right? I think I did. Uh, <laughs> Venezuelan dishes um, out here. But uh, yeah, um, I will probably be watching in contest soon. And like most things on this podcast, two weeks after Gerald says it, I'll say, yeah, I like that too. Uh, but what I did watch... Um, I mentioned it before, How To With John Wilson, very great HBO show, documentary, kind of man on the street, surreal comedy. Um, one of the stories that he talked about uh, in maybe if not the most recent episode, two back, uh, he mentioned a, a personal anecdote that when he was in college, he was at Binghamton University. Uh, he was in the acapella group. Their name, first of all, was magnificent. It was the Binghamton Crosbys. Uh, but they... He mentioned that uh, they had an overlap with the Nexium cult, which you may have heard of. They were in the news um, for some terrible crimes. Their leader, I think, went to like double life sentences for human trafficking and some sex crimes and coercion and all kinds of things. Not good stuff. Um, he mentioned that, you know, acapella apparently was identified by this group as uh, having a, a palatable mindset that would be cult adjacent. That was like an easy recruiting group. So they set up this fake singing competition basically to lure these people in. And he had like video footage of it and it seemed to be real. Anyways, I, I thought it was interesting. And so I immediately like pulled my phone out and started Googling because I hadn't heard much about Nexium besides, you know, when it blew up about the, uh, I guess, the, the, when it came out, the charges against the leader. Um, it's fascinating. I think cults are fascinating. I, 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 from an outside, from an outside perspective, looking at uh, kind of the psychology of them. I, of course, I, I myself am not not. Uh, I didn't go to Texas A and M, so you know I'm not uh, involved in any. Um, but it is. I find it fascinating the way that people get into it. They it's it, they do a good job of laying out kind of the case that the original cell, because that's always interesting to me. How they get people in, what the like initial product what the initial like teaser is how they uh do it and they do a good job and they spend a long time admittedly um kind of talking through both the the route and how people got in and then kind of the repercussion um the the person who made the documentary or provided the the video footage predominantly and is kind of the lead subject of it uh was a I think pretty famous uh, documentarian before um and was recruited and tapped to be basically for the cult, the documentarian. So he had all this firsthand source video, which was really interesting. You saw it like happening from the inside uh, when it was, you know, before it got to the deeper and worse levels of things. Right. But he basically defected and, and that's how you got all this. Um, it's a bit long. It is nine episodes. I've watched eight of them. I'm taking a little time to de decompress before getting to the final. Cause there's a lot going on in it. It's some of it's a little tough to watch when they get into the worst parts of it, but it is a fascinating kind of, inside look uh at the cult of personality and the product that they sell is interesting it is um relatively science-based kind of uh self-help mass therapy stuff that if you just read it on a ten thousand foot level it makes sense and this i get how you know people could be hooked on the initial thing and it was interesting to watch that and then watch kind of the underbelly of it so it's called the vow uh it's on hbo it's again about nine hours but it is very very interesting and i think pretty well told and again the firsthand kind of video and, and source material make it uh, fascinating where you don't always get that in these types of documentaries 
I love a good long form storytelling journalism thing. That's initially what I thought I was going to school to do. And so I'm glad that um, it, there's good stuff out there and I'm, I'm definitely going to have to sit down and watch it. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, I always knew I was going to talk about Texarkana this week. Um, the, the thing that I was going to make a joke about on the show, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, did you see the, the Fargo-esque uh, news story out of Texarkana where a storm went over a body of water and it was raining fish in Texarkana this week? I so, did see that. Just wild. Texarkana is our weirdest city, and, and that's saying something in the state of Texas. But great things also come out of Texarkana. Um including Derek Brown from Texas High, who is just, if you're not on social media, you should follow our account. You should follow, uh, I guess, Burn Orange Nation account. You should follow Derek Brown and, and pick a couple others. But that's, you know, that's that's your your initial three. Um, I follow Bitter White Guy. He's, he's been on the pod. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so uh, and, and Mike Roach. Uh, so <laughs> Derek Brown is, is, going to be a fan favorite the moment he steps on campus. He's a, he's a media savant. He basically um, is the voice of reason for 18-year-olds when processing all the stuff that's going on in college football. One of those things that's going on is Kobe McKenzie was an OU commit whose parents wanted him to go to OU. He decided he was going to commit to UT at linebacker as a position of need after Lincoln Riley left. Um, it looked like a good flip for Texas. Um, his parents still very strongly wanted him at OU, and he flipped back. Not a huge surprise. When there's that strong of a pull, um, you know, sometimes that that happens. Um, but the, the the part that was less palatable is it seems like kind of an orchestrated smear campaign where Kobe McKenzie or someone in his his group basically was putting out you know negative recruiting bait uh, about how Texas only talked about the money and they just led with NIL and didn't want to talk about anything other than money, um, and it just was not for him. It was unpalatable. Which to that I of course respond well. You, he did commit, so I guess it wasn't that bad. But anyways, uh, the PR spin of it was was you know to try to make OU look good and Texas look bad. They put it out there, and I'm not going to name any names, but at least one journalist from our paper of record in Austin uh, took the bait and retweeted it. it. It got quite publicized. But then again, our hero, our boy Derek Brown, comes through basically calling Cap, which if you're a bit uh, older and not familiar with the Twitter terms, he's calling him a liar, and said uh, that, you know, he's been committed for a long time and only heard that, you know, once or twice in the entire time in addition to the whole pitch of Austin being significantly better than city than anywhere else to play college football and the opportunities and the business and the this and the football, and right? So there's, there's a lot of things you could sell. Um, <laughs> the, the poetic then comes with the second part of this story um, when now former University of Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams uh, left, transferred out. His quarter, his coach left, so we all thought it might be coming. Uh, but he played through the bowl game and then chose to enter the transfer portal. Um, OU publicly pitched NIL opportunities uh, to Caleb Williams, and and again, our hero uh, Derek Brown comes in and basically said, "But I, I, I thought only Texas talked about the money." Um, it, it, it just, you know. 
I just talked about Colts and the OU fans are so, so quick to just, you know, our guy's the best. He's a perfect, beautiful boy. Nothing wrong about him. He's, he's so great. We love all of ours. And then, you know, the moment you step across the line, Lincoln Riley, uh, the acronym they use to describe him, uh, something, something out West. I'll let you look it up. Uh, the way they talk about, you know, Caleb Williams and have just been destroying him, uh, on Twitter. The moment that even the rumors of him transferring came up, uh, it's just so funny. The, the in or out mind, mindset of how they hate everything that isn't and love everything that is and everything that is OU is perfect and everything that isn't is the worst. I just think it's funny. I love that our two rivals are just rife with double standards. Two interesting studies that documentaries could be made about their uh, their their cult-like mentalities and the way they view the world. And then again, in these both of these documentaries, the hero, uh, the University of Texas, obviously, but the hero in this one, Derek Brown, Texas High, uh, soon to be fans favorite retire his twitter handle put it up in the ring of honor i'm banging the drum this week on an eight figure recruiting class if you're not aware texas a&m has signed not just the number one recruiting class in 2022 but the what's going to end up being the number one recruiting class of all time which is an incredible coup for them especially because they will continue to go eight and four eight and five for the rest of our lives but there are reports and rumors and unsubstantiated things of eight-figure numbers, $25, $30 million, whatever, that they paid to put out the best recruiting class of all time. And there are a lot of people that are aghast at this number, but I'm going to say this, and and I hope you hear it in the right tone. Quit complaining about it because it's legal now, and I'm sure they did it in the right ways because, well, if if, if you're going to do it and it's legal now, then you might as well do it the right way. And their compliance department, I'm sure, was... A part of it, but if they had to spend eight figures worth of money to do this, maybe those resources aren't going to stay around, and maybe those kids don't stay around for a long time. And and I'm I'm there's just a lot of variables with it, but but I I, I just want to talk about that to say this: don't be mad that they spent the money. Be mad that they outspent Texas especially in some of the ones that were players that, that Texas should have landed And You know, Texas has an opportunity and I think Texas doesn't have a class that you should be disappointed in. And they're probably going to add a couple of guys to that class. That's already a top five class after a five and seven season in which Texas lost to Kansas. Like let's put that all together. And I'm not saying that Texas isn't also doing these types of things because well, you should be You're Texas. You've got the money. We spent decades talking about how the boosters were ruining Texas football and now the boosters are doing everything they can to unruin Texas football and so if if they're ruining it but they're doing their part to pull it out of the depths that it's been in for the last 12 years I'm all aboard let's keep this train moving not to bag on OU poor OU they they can't even pay to get out of a can't even pay to get out of the conference but uh you know (laughs) look Gerald there there are many there are many who worry that uh, the international soccer game is is being ruined ruined by petro states, basically your your Qatar's, which I believe A&M has a campus there, uh, your your Saudi and UAE money, basically <laughs> buying these teams that weren't very good, you know, Manchester City, Chelsea. PSG teams that were big and in big cities and, and whatever, but weren't necessarily winning titles. And now your Barcelona's, Real Madrid's, Manchester United's, whatever, can't keep up because they're just owned by regular old rich people. Um, and, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, 
I just say to that, why not us, right? Let's go be the Gulf, uh, this case, Gulf of Mexico versus uh, Gulf over there, uh, oil magnate uh, or, or, or petrodollar uh, barons who, you know, if it means the Aggies play us in nine consecutive BC, you know, national championship games, so be it. But let's just concentrate the wealth because we know you can't, can't spend with us. Uh, we know, uh, you know, even Bama can't spend like we can. Uh, so let's just, uh, let's just buy ourselves some titles here. And I'm, I'm kidding about 10%. Texas is going to be Texas. Big bank, take a little bank. Scared money, don't make none. Let's do this. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time. Hook 'em. Hook 'em. Find me on my food podcast. Pim's talking shrimps. <laughs>